And now would you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, guide our hearts and minds in this moment so that your message is revealed to each of us in the way most relevant to where we stand with you today. Amen. The power of simplicity. There seems to be a natural affinity for simplicity in our lives. One piece of evidence is the popularity of the classic book, All I Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten, written by Robert Fulcom. In this collection of essays that spawn several parodies in TV shows, movies, and other books, Fulcom presents 16 basic lessons that we teach our young children but which we seem to forget as we grow older. Lessons like share everything, play fair, and clean up after your own mess, and say you're sorry when you hurt someone. These are all simple ideas that would make the world a much better place if we continued to follow these basic lessons that we are all taught at least some point in our lives. In fact, there's many difficult problems that are encountered in the world that can be solved by simple solutions. Although the hardest problems are often expected to be solved by difficult and equally hard solutions, there's a common appreciation for the elegance that comes with solving difficult problems with simple solutions. And just because a solution can be simple, doesn't mean the problem is insignificant. For example, the early agricultural issues that threatened the food supply of countless communities throughout history were resolved with basic crop rotation or fertilization techniques. By using the basic ideas of thermodynamics, people have been able to provide cool air to their homes in arid desert landscapes for thousands of years through simple evaporative cooling techniques. Dealing with food insecurity and heat stress in the desert are important issues, but people have found effective ways of dealing with these challenges by using some basic, simple ideas. Simplicity was not what Naaman, or Naaman, expected when he sought a cure for his leprosy, as we read in the first passage this morning from 2 Kings. Naaman was the commander of the Aramean army, and he was respected by many, including not only his own master, the king of Aram, but also the kings of Israel and Judah. See, at this point in the history of, Jew of the Jewish tradition, the Jews had split into two kingdoms. There was a southern kingdom called Judah, and a northern kingdom called Israel. The kingdoms of Judah and Israel decided to challenge the Arameans for control of a region known as Roth Gilead. But the Arameans defeated both Jewish kings, and it's thought that Naaman was the commander of the Aramean army that won this battle. So he was well known throughout the region to all the kings and all the people. Well, on one of his escapades in the area, Naaman captured an Israelite girl who he made a servant to his wife. Now, despite the difficult circumstances this young girl found herself in, she became attached to Naaman and his family. At some point in her servitude, the girl mentioned to her mistress 
that she knew of someone in Israel who could cure Naaman of his leprosy. So the mistress passed this information on to her husband. The name Naaman means gracious or handsome, but his leprosy must have made him somewhat repulsive to those around him. According to the Jewish tradition that we read in Leviticus chapter 13, verses 45 and 46, the person who has the defiling disease of leprosy shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head be disheveled, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. This is very harsh conditions. There was no cure for leprosy. And it was presumed to be contagious, which it is. So those who suffered from leprosy were isolated in the Jewish communities. Now, Naaman was apparently not isolated in the kingdom of Iran. But when he heard that there was a chance that he might find a cure for his condition, even if it required him to seek help from an enemy, he was willing to give it a shot. He went to his master, the king of Aram, and he asked him if he could seek help for his condition in the land of the Israelites. The king granted his permission and even gave him the official backing of the Aramean kingdom. The king gave him 10 talents of silver and 6,000 shekels of gold, which, by the way, is 755 pounds of silver and 150 pounds of gold. And also he sent a letter to the king of Israel asking that the Israelite king grant a cure to Naaman. Now the king of Israel saw this entire situation as a setup. I mean the Aramean king provided these gifts and diplomatically requested support for his commander. So the Israelite king was really placed in a difficult situation. He knew that the resolution of such difficult problems as curing leprosy could only come from God. And he personally didn't have the power to grant that cure. Either he would have to confess that he was incapable of fulfilling the request, essentially admitting that he's weak, or he would have to, have to simply deny the request, which would insult our main king and give him a reason to attack the Israelites. Of course, the servant girl didn't make a claim that the Israelite king could cure Naaman. But the Aramean king made that assumption, perhaps with the intention of setting him up for failure. Regardless of the true intent of the Arameans, the Israelite king was deeply distressed. After all, his army had just recently fallen to Naaman and the Arameans. Well, fortunately, the prophet Elijah heard of this. He learned of the dilemma that was facing the king of Israel, and he was able to direct Naaman to a cure. Elijah sent a message to the Israelite king, telling him to send Naaman to his home. So Naaman went directly to Elijah's house. When Naaman arrived, he expected Elijah, of course, to to greet him personally, to come out, perform this elaborate ritual, and then send him on his way with probably some complicated tasks to perform to complete his healing. 
Again, remember, there was no cure for leprosy. Well, I mean, sometimes it did go away on its own. And Moses did offer strict, very complicated procedures that involved multiple sacrifices for just acknowledging that a person was cured in chapters 13 and 14 of Leviticus. It was reasonable for Naaman to expect a complicated ritual would be necessary to not only acknowledge a cure, but to initiate a cure. But this is not what happened. Elijah didn't even step out of his house and to greet Naaman. He only sent a messenger with instructions to simply wash in the Jordan River seven times. A fairly muddy river at times, apparently. Of course, Naaman was furious. He had traveled many, many miles and offered valuable gifts to the Israelites with the hope that they would take him seriously and cure his leprosy. But Elijah who wouldn't even step out of his home to say hello, gave him a simple solution. It seemed that he was acting so cavalier, he was essentially being impertinent to Naaman. Naaman was about to go home directly in a rage and ignore the prophet's instructions. But his servants persuaded him to at least try Elijah's suggestion before leaving the area. I mean, after all, it was an easy thing to do. Although Naaman was a conqueror of the chosen people of Israel, he seemed to have God on his side. Note in the first verse that we read in this passage today, Naaman was a great man because the Lord had given him victory to Aram through him. Although he was prone to violence and apparently had a temper, he was wise enough to pay attention to the lowliest people in his society even a slave girl who he had captured and given to his wife as the servant, who happened to encourage him to follow Elijah's instructions. His servants told him that he should do it, so he went to the Jordan River. And once he completed the washings, Scripture says, he was cured of his leprosy, and his skin was the flesh of a young boy. In continuing verses, it says that he came back acknowledging that the God of Israel was the one true God. So Naaman was converted by this whole process. The story of Naaman was well known centuries later. In chapter 4 of the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus started his ministry and preached in his hometown of Nazareth, the people there rejected him, saying, Is not this Joseph's son Jesus responded by acknowledging that no prophet is accepted in his hometown. And he implied that his people were prone to misunderstanding the nature of God in general by referring to the story of Naaman, saying, There were also many with the skin disease in Israel in the time of the prophet Elijah, but none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Of course, this made those around Jesus furious, but Jesus escaped before they could throw him off a cliff. Later in Luke, when Jesus was making his way toward Jerusalem for the last time, as we read in our second reading this morning, he also demonstrated his affinity for simplicity. When he sent 72 disciples ahead of him to prepare all the people in the towns and villages for his arrival. As we heard in the second scripture reading, 
Jesus gave them specific instructions. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Suggesting that he expected them to act with urgency and be devoted to their singular purpose. They have a message of peace to proclaim, and they are to encourage others by letting them know that the kingdom of God has come near. When they meet with others, they are to remember that it is the host who sets the context for the witness, not themselves, the guests. And they are to eat what is before them and accept whatever lodging becomes available. Sometimes they will be rejected. And when they are, they're expected to persevere by reminding themselves as well as those around them that the kingdom of God has come near. These instructions given by Jesus serve an example as an example of the simple yet effective nature of his own ministry. There are many difficult situations that we all experience throughout our lives. But the solutions don't also have to be complicated. In fact, the most effective solutions to our most difficult problems are usually able to be found through a simple approach. For example, Jewish tradition teaches that there are 613 laws that must be followed if one wants to be faithful, a faithful follower of God. But Jesus taught that all the laws and the teachings of the prophets could be summed up, summed up by two commandments. To love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. The challenge to walk faithfully with God might be able to be broken down into proper responses for various situations, but that quickly gets very complicated. Similarly, Trying to fully understand all the steps involved with being forgiven by God by, for our past mistakes can also be quite difficult. We know that Christ endured crucifixion and resurrection so that we might have the opportunity to be forgiven by God. But nobody knows exactly how that works. There's many ideas or theories, but nobody knows for certain all the details of how exactly did Christ make salvation possible to each and every one of us. We simply accept that teaching by faith and allow Christ to work in our lives. As William Sloan Coffin, a former clergyman and peace activist, once said, faith is not about believing without proof, but trusting without reservation. Therefore, I encourage you to approach life with an attitude of simplicity and accept the blessings that Christ has made available through his teachings by following the simple teachings of Jesus Christ to live in an attitude of love. We can expect to discover deep comfort in our most challenging moments of life. Amen.